Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. So I thank you for having me here today. JJ is not here. He is at a church in Christiansburg preaching. And I was telling Christopher earlier this week, yeah, me and JJ are um, we're splitting up. And I was getting ready to tell him a story. And he's like, whoa, splitting up? <laughs> like, well, I probably shouldn't phrase it that way. <laughs> we'll call it tag teaming. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, With that being said, I should probably go ahead and confess, JJ hated not being here today, and he painted a beautiful painting to go with my sermon, and I forgot it. Um, So, I know you'll be watching this in a little bit. Um, I hope that we're not splitting up. (laughs) Uh, He's so great. So, we've been married about two years. We just celebrated our second anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. We just celebrated our second anniversary. And um, I have a funny story to tell you. Timmy, you're good. Thank you. Um, So I got married at my home church in Hopewell, Virginia at City Point Restoration. And on campus there, beside the church, is an administrative building. And that is where myself and my bridesmaids got ready. And I was really excited because I'm super organized. And I was like, man, I've got this wedding down. I had everything aligned, everything in order. Everybody had an itinerary. (laughs) But how many of you know God has a way of humbling you? So we're in the admin building. We're getting ready to walk over. And the photographer and the videographer stop us. And they say, Naomi, we would like to get one more shot of you with your bridesmaids and your mom and the, and the um, flower girls. I'm like, absolutely. I had the rings in my hand. So I sat them on a dresser, like right over here. And they take the picture. And maybe you know where this is going. But they take the picture. And I'm like, all right, let's go get married. And we go over. And... Uh, I'm waiting outside to walk in with my dad, and I start hyperventilating because I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, But I turn the corner, and I see JJ, and everything makes sense, and I calm down, and I get up there, and I'm staring in his eyes, and it's this hallmark moment for me, and then I realize I don't have the rings. And so Pastor Thurman, he's, you know, This is him talking. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, This is him talking. Uh, So he's going through the ceremony, and I look over to my mom, and I'm like trying to telepathically tell her, 911, 911. And I can see her staring at me, so I go, I don't have the rings. And she does no clue at what I'm saying. I'm like, I don't have the rings. And then I realize the whole church is staring at me, and they're probably thinking, 
is this girl getting ready to dip? Like, what's, what's happening? So I just turn back around, and Pastor Collier says, may I have the rings? And I say, no, you may not. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, why not? And I'm like, I forgot the rings. And he said, well, Naomi, we'll do the best we can. So we pretend to put rings on each other. Um, and I don't know if people knew or not, but whatever. We got married, and someone went and got the rings, and it was good, and it was great. Hallelujah. Praise God. Give them a praise. <laughs> but the day was great, and the story's not pointless. I bring that up to say that today in our culture, the wedding is about the girl, right? We hear that in different phrases, like, whatever the bride wants, the bride gets or it's her special day, right? Or a not-so-positive one, Bridezilla. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that no one is here, maybe including JJ, because <laughs> I don't know if that was me, and I don't want to know. Um, but it hasn't always been that way. In fact, in Jesus' time, about circa 100 to 600 AD, the wedding day was all about the man. Can I hear amen? Yeah, it's all about the men. <laughs> That's the tradition in that day. And so I'd like to take you through what that looks like for a moment before we dive into the scriptures so you really have a good understanding. So I would love for you to just imagine yourself in this role. So there was the engagement, or as in the word calls, or that time calls, the betrothal period. And during the betrothal, the groom has to travel to the father, and there has to be negotiations, right? There's a dowry that has to be paid for the woman. There, sometimes they could be fierce negotiations. I don't know. JJ said the talk was pretty significant. <laughs> there was no trading of goats or sheep, but back then there would have been. And at that point in time, once the negotiations are met, the bridegroom, he goes to prepare where they're going to be living. And the soon-to-be bride has to sit and wait. And she has her attendants with her, we'll call them bridesmaids. And they have to wait until he returns. And in that time, there's no cell phones. There's no, hey babe, I got the house ready. I'm coming for you. <laughs> there's none of that. She has no clue when he's gonna return for her. And it can be up to a year. So she has her attendants with her. They're waiting. And when he comes back, it's tradition that he would come back in the middle of the night. And there would be a midnight cry. And you would hear him say, the bridegroom is here. Come out and meet him. Now her bridesmaids that were with her they're not like the bridesmaids of today that go with you to the salon and get your nails done and your hair did the day before, okay? They have a very solid purpose. And that purpose is they had to have lamps. I don't think they look like this, but this is how we're going to look at them. They had to have lamps. They had to have oil and a wick that could be trimmed. And their entire job was to be prepared for that midnight cry, because their sole purpose was to run out, meet the bridegroom, 
and jump, shout, rejoice, and dance as they led the bride and the bridegroom to the place of the wedding festival that, by the way, could last up to seven days. Can you imagine going to a party lasting seven days? <laughs> so if it's that important, if it lasts seven days, the whole town is there, okay? And this job of being an attendant, a bridesmaid, was so honorable that everybody knew who you were if you were in it. And when you got to the wedding festival, once everybody was inside, the gate was locked and no one else was allowed in. Now the history behind that tells us that the reason they locked the gate was because people would come in and try to steal the bride and hold her for ransom. So these bridesmaids had to be through that door before the gate locked. Because if they didn't, not only would they not be at the party of the year for seven days, but they would be the talk of the town. Everybody would know that they were not prepared. Now, there's several different variances of how this all went down, and I will spare you the very long research of all of that, but you get the idea, right? We're going to go into the scripture now and, and tie this all together. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask right now that only your words flow through my mouth. And I ask that every person sitting under the sound of my voice, both here and online, have open hearts and open ears to hear the heaviness of what I have to say today. Lord, watch over us and guide us in your name. Amen. So here we have these ten virgins. We'll call them bridesmaids. We have this super huge honor that they have to meet the bridegroom. And they're all invited and I need you to really understand that. Every single one of these bridesmaids are invited. They all know their responsibility and what it's going to take to get into those gates. There's nothing hidden. There's no secret agenda anywhere. 
yet we do find that even though they had all of the information that they needed, and even though, Jesus, even though they came to the place to meet Jesus, they were not prepared. They still did not take things seriously until it was too late. They didn't bring any oil for their lamps. They hear the midnight cry. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. They hear the midnight cry. They trim their wicks. Five of them apply the oil and light them. And five of them realize their grave mistake. And they ask their friends that are beside them, Give us some of your oil. We cannot miss this. Please give us some of your oil. And of course the others say, no. We don't have enough oil to light your lamp and ours. It can't happen. They go to the store. They try to buy some oil. And they get some. They put it in there. They get to the gate, and it's locked. And they're banging on the door, and the word says, they cry out, Lord, Lord, put yourself in their shoes. What an intimate cry. Imagine a child crying out, Daddy. And he comes to the gate, and he says, I do not know you, and does not open the gate. I'm sure many of you may have heard this story. For those of you who haven't, this is a symbolic of Jesus being the bridegroom, coming for his church, which is the bride. The parable is a look at what it will be like for those of us who wait too late to ask Jesus into our hearts. So what do we take from this? I have a question for you today that you cannot afford to not answer. Where you're sitting right now, are you in a church or are you the church? I'll say it again. Are you in a church or are you the church? You can't leave here today without knowing 100% what the answer to that question is. What if we logically took the number from this story? and applied it to this congregation. Got any numbers people in here? It's not me, but <laughs> I prepared it beforehand. 50-50. If we applied these numbers here, half of the congregation would not make it into the gate. Now, I'm not saying there is any theological rules that say somewhere that those numbers apply here at Covenant. But I am bringing about a hypothetical question for you, for you to know what you may be dealing with at any point at any time. Is it possible that there are people in this church that you know, that you serve with, that are walking around with their lamps every day, waiting for the bride of Christ, and it's empty. Let me tell you how I know there are. 
Nowhere in scripture does it, says that, does it say at all that the five wise virgins knew that the five others had no oil. There, there's nowhere it says it. They were serving the same purpose together. They were living together for up to a year. And yet, when the midnight cry happened, five of them have an empty tank. The door is locked, never to be opened. I know that's heavy, but it's reality. I'm going to share with you my testimony. I know some of you have heard portions of it. For those of you who haven't, I'll go back a little ways to the beginning. Uh, At the age of five in a Sunday school class, I had a Sunday school teacher ask, if you'd like to be saved, repeat after me. And she said the sinner's prayer. And in that moment, at such a young age, I looked around, and because of peer pressure, hear that, not a heart change, peer pressure, I said the prayer too. And from that moment, I learned how to read the Bible. I learned how to say words out loud to a God that I knew that was true. We call that prayer, but what do you call it when there's no relationship? I learned how to raise my hands in worship when a powerful song was on, and I learned in my head somehow that I did that when I felt goosebumps or was emotionally connected to something. Is it worship? I learned how to sing in the choir. As a teenager, I taught Sunday school for the little kids. In high school, I was an advocate for Jesus. I got in trouble for writing Jesus Loves You on my school books. I went to every single youth camp, every single winter fest. I was down at the altar and had adults ask me to pray for them. I was doing everything that I was taught how to do. But without the connection in my heart, it was all manufactured. Do you understand that? And I didn't even know until about 20 years ago, on campus at Lee University, a professor asked me to write a five-page paper on the moment of my salvation. I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm thinking about this 10-second moment in Sunday school and trying to figure out how to write five pages, but in college you can do anything. And I wrote the paper. A year later, I was doing worship at a revival. Worship was done, went to sat down. The pastor preached a message called being lost in the pew. And my knuckles gripped that pew in front of me so hard because it all made sense. All of it. I realized that I'd spent my whole life knowing about God, but never knowing him. It would be the same way as if I had read a book about J.J., and learned everything there was to know about him, but if I never talked to him, would I really know him? It worked the same way. So the altar call was given that night. I did not go up front. Why? Pride. It's like, what are they going to think of me? I'm here to do their worship. So I went home. 
I got on the phone with a friend, and I was like, ah, I don't think that I'm saved. And he's like, well, you're talking to the wrong person then, Naomi. <laughs> and I hang up the phone. And for the first time in my life, I had an authentic conversation with Jesus Christ. And pride flew out the window because I wanted to tell everybody what had happened in my life. My jaws hurt from smiling so much. And I became burdened with this passion to tell my story because I knew that if that happened to me, then I'm not the only one. That if I had spent over 20 years serving the spirit of religion, that I was not the only one. I need you to really think about that today. You can't rely on anyone else's preparation to get you to heaven. You can't rely on growing up in church. You can't rely on having the greatest youth pastors there are. You cannot rely on going to youth camp, going to Winterfest, going to men's conferences or women's conferences. You can't rely on any of that. Let me tell you something else. You can't rely on coming in here for practices every week. You can't rely on serving in the food pantry. You can't rely on going to life groups. You can't rely on being a good person. The only thing you can rely on is the belief that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and that you are going to choose to follow him for the rest of your days. All that other stuff is great, but by itself, without the covering of the blood of Jesus, it is pointless. There's nothing to it. Anybody can feed the homeless. What is setting you apart? The blood of Christ. I couldn't rely on a family that served God. And as I prepared for this message a couple of months ago, and I was reminded, and I think with purpose, during the preparation of this message, around the age of eight or nine, I remember thinking, I was in the living room listening to Jimmy Swaggart preaching on TV. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm saved, but if I can just hold my mama's hand, when that trumpet sounds, I'll go to heaven. I don't have to worry about it. God was trying to call to me at the age of eight. And look how long it took me to hear his voice because I was so wrapped up in all of the great things that we do, in the traditions, in being a good person. I was so wrapped up in it that I couldn't even hear his voice. I had access to a ton of people who would tell me who Jesus was at any time. JJ and I call this being Jesus insulated. We both grew up in the church. But the scripture tells us why that's not enough. In Luke 9, 18 through 20, it says, One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were there with him. And he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they reply, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say you are the one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. But then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Who do you say he is today? Here's the truth. It does us no good to be like those foolish versions. It does us no good. 
to pick up these empty lamps. Go to your practices and events. Show up with the lamp in your hand like you're ready. You're ready for Christ to return. You're ready for the present day. You make a show like you intend to meet the bridegroom. Yet when he returns, he doesn't even know you by name. And there's something that I need you to take away from my testimony. Sometimes you're doing this without ill intent. I wasn't doing it with ill intent. I had great intentions. I loved the church because I loved good people. I was heavily bullied in school. So church was my like refuge. The people and the kindness and the warmth. Sometimes it's not with ill intentions. Sometimes we just don't listen to his voice because we're so submerged in a culture that is built around tradition that we can't take the blinders off and see past it. You can't afford to be like the five unprepared and make no provision for what you know is coming. Instead, be like the five who were wise and prepare for the worst, which is what? The tarrying of the bridegroom. Did you notice that these ladies in the scripture were all sleeping when the midnight cry happened? It's not a bad thing to sleep. We're called to rest. But there's a difference between resting and being a sluggard. There's a difference between resting and not caring enough to prepare and just putting it off until tomorrow. All 10 ladies slept but five arose from that sleep. They trimmed their wicks. They had the oil. They lit their lamp because even the best prepared still have work to do. The five foolish arose and they heard the midnight cry because they finally, and they finally realized that they were not prepared. And there's this quote I wanted to tell you. The lamp of those who are foolish go out when they are lit with the best of intentions that never surpass the flesh. The lamp of those who are foolish go out when they are lit with the best of intentions that never surpass the flesh. These ladies were awakened by circumstances that they should have been prepared for. That for as all of we know, they've spent their whole lives being prepared for. People have been telling them. And yet somehow they weren't prepared. And you might look at this and think, man, they were so stupid. All they needed was oil. But how many of us have spent our whole lives hearing that Christ is coming? A midnight cry is coming. The trumpet's going to sound. We're going to rise. But yet we're not prepared. They're not so stupid now, right? So how will you be found? How are you going to be awakened by the midnight cry? You got to know this today. Do you believe that Christ died on the cross for you, but you're unwilling to commit to the strict call of sanctification? Is that your stumbling block? And, and that might seem harsh, but it's, it's reality. And it's truth. Are there habits in your life that you're unwilling to give up because you prefer them over holiness? I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about the things you're doing in private. 
Maybe the things that you just don't care you're doing in public. I'm talking about the things that you don't want your mama and daddy to know or the things you don't want your spouse to know. Maybe just things you don't want your pastor to know. Maybe your whole family is okay with your sin, but you're keeping it from your pastor. Those are the things that I'm talking about. Are those things keeping you from being ready for the midnight cry? Why? Why? When judgment comes, and it is so coming, those who are clinging to sin now will wish for the solid comforts of holiness then. Make no mistake about it. We have passed the time in which you have any room to say, I'll quit that next week. Or, let's just be real, I'm gonna do this one more time. I'll let this person go next month. I'm gonna get my rush a few more times. What are you doing? What, what are you doing? We don't have time for it anymore. We want to treat the Holy Spirit, this is not me, this is what I got from another pastor. We, we want to treat the Holy Spirit like a pile of mashed potatoes. <laughs> Hear me out. We want to say, just slide that to the side of the plate. It's okay if you don't want that. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. I get it, sin is hard to get rid of, but there was this beautiful transference that happened. Christ died on the cross, he resurrected, he ascended to heaven. He did leave us, but he did not leave us alone. He left us with the Holy Spirit, and that is how you say no to sin, and you walk away from it, and you join hands with the Holy Spirit and the Father, and you make your preparations today for the bridegroom coming. That's how you do it. The Holy Spirit is not here to just shove in the corner until you're ready. He's here now. He's an ever-present God. He's here for you today. But maybe that's not you either. Maybe you've lived your whole life stuck in the culture of Christianity just like I did. You're going to church every time the doors are open because that's what you've always done. And to be quite frank, you enjoy it. And that's okay. You're a great person. You feed the homeless. You serve in the food pantry. You teach Sunday school. You read the Bible. You even lift your hands in worship. But I really need you to be thinking this through. Because like we said before, all these things are great. But without Christ, they mean nothing. I even mean your title. There was a pastor who held a crusade for pastors. And 13 pastors got saved. It doesn't matter what your title is. Did you hear me when I was in high school? I was an advocate for Jesus and didn't even know him. I brought people with me to church, man. I didn't even know him. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your position is. It certainly doesn't matter how long you've been here. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're 20 sitting in here or you're an elder sitting in here. Does the blood of Christ flow through your veins? That is what matters. Years down the road, if you don't get ready, even though you knew you needed the oil, you'll find yourself there at the midnight cry with the rest of the bride, and you're going through all of the motions, and you realize 
you have no oil. And wedding bells become funeral bells. You can't let it happen. It's a tragedy to live a life of outward religiousness only to have inward emptiness. You all understand? Worship team, you can come on up. Maybe that's not you either. Maybe you just don't know Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a beautiful love story. Drop your name in it. For God so loved Braden that he gave his only begotten son for Braden, that whosoever believeth in him, if Braden believeth in him, he will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved Carla that he gave his only begotten son for Carla that if she believed in him, she will have everlasting life. Drop your name in it. God sent his only son to be born a virgin, fully God and fully man. He died on the cross, this ultimate sacrifice for us. Through his death and then his resurrection, we are forgiven. Our sins are gone and we're able to walk in covenant with him. He is our comforter. He is our provider. Are you broken today? He is your healer. It's cliche, but he is the alpha and omega. He is the beginning and the end. This is the reason why people say it so much. We can cast our burdens at his feet. Rest assured that when you do, it doesn't mean your life is all of a sudden going to be magical and there will be no pain. But it does mean that you will receive salvation. It does mean that you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it does mean that when that midnight cry comes, You have the oil. Miss Joy, can you hand me the box in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when that midnight cry comes, you'll have your oil. And having your oil means you'll have your light. And it's so needed. It's so needed, friends. You guys want to play something softly? Who wants to carry around an empty lamp when you can have one that's full of his glory, full of his goodness, full of his spirit? It's your ticket in the door at the midnight cry. Do you have it? 
Are you listening to me today and you know in your heart that you are a different person when you're in these doors than outside of them? What are you waiting for? Is pride in your way? There's no place for pride when our Lord and Savior comes back and we hear that cry, that midnight cry that says, Arise, prepare the way. Our Lord is here. What's your lamp going to look like? Don't put it off till next week. Don't put it off till tonight. Stop pushing those people out of your life that are telling you the truth. Stop pushing the people out of your life that are holding you accountable, saying, where is your oil? The time is today. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60 verse 1, we hope you arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.